Good morning. Today is Easter Sunday, April 21st, 2019. As a special surprise, I figure I'd do one before my family comes over. So here I am doing my podcast. It's going to be chapter 5. And the chapter is called A Seat at the Trading Desk. I hope you enjoy it. When I was promoted to the trading room, I began to mature and take life a little more seriously. I signed up for evening business courses at the community college that were directly applicable to my work. All the courses, whether in formal education or combined with my own self-taught studies, would help me become successful and respected in the years ahead. I took accounting, business law, operations management, and some industry-specific courses like foreign exchange at NYU. This supplemented my on-the-job training. I was also asked to take the Series 3 Commodity Futures Licensing course. I first took the test in 1983 and prepared by taking classes at the offices of Drexel Burnham Lambert on Broad Street. Our offices were on Broadway, and I used to cut through a small alley to New Street and then cut through to Broad Street. New Street had a great little pizzeria, and I still remember their sausage and meatball slices were out of this world. This was poor man's food. For $2, I could get two slices and a soda. I don't remember ever going with my colleagues because the only time I went out to lunch once I started on the trading desk was on my way back from the class at Drexel. As traders, we were expected to sit at the desk from the moment we got into the office until the end of the day. The company paid for our lunch. Sounds like a good deal, but it was obviously much cheaper for the company to feed us for the cost of a sandwich than to let us off the desk when a potential customer could be lost if not enough hands were available to answer the telephone. I remember studying very hard for the exam. I was especially worried because a woman older than me at the time on the desk had already taken it twice and failed. After taking the test, I thought it was very easy. I believe that my colleague, who had children, just didn't have enough time to study. So after passing the test, my trips to the pizza place became a thing of the past. Studies and the work itself were never an impediment to my health. It was the lack of awareness about the major difference in how I performed the work. In my mind, when I got to the trading desk, the work itself became harder and the responsibility I had taken on was much more burdensome. But it was not physically taxing anymore as I was now sitting at a desk. Yes, this would be my first full-time job, sitting on my rear end most of the day. But it also meant I was no longer burning the calories I used to at the retail counter or in the processing department. This was such a big change in lifestyle that I am still dealing with the repercussions of this today. I remember my mom noticing I was putting on weight. I blew her comments off, though I knew she was right. My shirt collar size when I started working in the industry was 14 and a half. Now I was up to 15 and a half. I used to be a 30 waist and now I was a 32, 33. I was getting bigger. I was overweight, but since I was active outside of work, at least it did not look that bad on me. Like my mom would say, I was getting fofo, which was a charming Cuban way to saying I was getting a little flabby. Once, I was left sitting on the desk watching the market because my boss, Joel, told me to let him know if the price of gold moved. He was not clear exactly by how much, so I kept getting up and going to his office door and telling him literally every time the price changed, almost as if he had dialed into the exchange to listen to every trade. Finally, he said, Only tell me if it moves more than a dollar in either direction. Looking back, I realized how silly I was being, 
but it was all new to me, and I sure wasn't ready to just second-guess what he meant. At the trading desk, I was dealing with banks, trading houses, and the public. We had a mix of relationships that were necessary to have enough business to make two-way price. So we could always quote a customer on how we would pay them or sell them a currency or precious metals product. Our business portfolio and relationships were international. I was really beginning to enjoy the diversity of people. It was as if a, a new world was being opened up to me, and it was wondrous and special. I was speaking with people from all over the world. Back then, a five-minute long-distance conversation cost the equivalent of my week's wages. It was crazy expensive. I spoke to a sweet young woman on the phone from California, and we began to have a relationship. I got a special account with a new long-distance company called MCI. The primary telephone company, AT&T, was a monopoly then. I had to dial a toll-free number and then enter my account number and the telephone number I wanted to call, and then finally enter the security code. After several minutes, I would finally be connected. It's a miracle this relationship got very far. The service was affordable, so I could continue speaking with her, and our phone romance was eventually realized. She told me she had a young child, but it didn't bother me, and I flew to Los Angeles to meet her. When I met her family, I didn't seem to have anything in common with them. Still, we had a good time. On my return, she started hinting about getting married, so she flew to the East Coast to meet my family. Again, we had a good time together, but though she wanted to be together forever, we really did not have anything concrete in common. She asked me to get her a job in New York, but she was just moving too fast for me, and I had to end it. After working on the desk, I started to learn about the finer things in life. One of my favorites to this day is fine Italian restaurants. I wined and dined my girlfriend from L.A. Since I was single, I had no expenses and was still living at home. I believe that may have given the impression I was well off, if you know what I mean. Fine Italian foods means appetizers, pasta, and rich desserts, and wine. Not a low-calorie beverage. One of my favorites was Nanny's Restaurant on 46th Street. The waiters were always comical, and its chef was a class act who always came out to ask how we enjoyed his cooking. It was a small, intimate restaurant that gave you that feeling they cared. I still love this kind of place best, and it hasn't been that long since the last time I've been there. I began to frequent these restaurants more and more. It was probably better for me than burgers and pizza, but the effect was just as damaging on my body. With my decreasing physical activity, I began to gain more weight. At five foot six, I weighed 165 pounds, the heaviest I had been in my life at that point. My neck size had now grown to a 16, but I was not a massive blubber yet because I still played racquetball and rode my bicycle on the weekends. I continued to work very hard, but then another opportunity came to the forefront from a startup competitor. They offered me more money, and as one of only a small handful of traders, I would certainly have more responsibility. I accepted the offer after having discussed it with my father. The deal was done. Now I was moving to a new office, and I would be working midtown for the first time. It was a new commute. I was now taking the bus into Port Authority bus terminal, which in the early 1980s was putting it nicely a cesspool of crime. Walking to work after getting off the bus was a gauntlet. I climbed over homeless people and drug addicts. I was offered illegal drugs throughout, and I was accosted by prostitutes a few blocks away. This was not a good neighborhood. 
But the thousands of people together during the rush hour gave me the courage to survive that path. I remember walking a block from the bus terminal and seeing a guy I knew from the bus in front of me. His arms were full carrying his trench coat and newspaper, which was a mistake. Within seconds, I saw a few people approach him from different locations. It all happened so quickly. I wanted to shout, Mister, watch out for your wallet, but it was too late. The words did not get out in time and his pockets were empty. My office, however, was in a protected part of the city in the Olympic Tower, right next door to St. Patrick's Cathedral. It was among the top spots in town and the streets were filled with wealthy shoppers. There were plenty of police and the added securities what created the fantasy of a beautiful Manhattan. If you stepped outside the area, you needed to be on your guard. Unlike today, when New York City's top industry is tourism, this area of town would end up being where I spent most of my career. Things in my life now started to move much faster. I was sent on long business trips. My first to South America was three weeks long, and I recall it fondly, though I felt trapped. I had to travel with another man from the office, much older than me, and we had to share rooms. Not only did I not know anyone of my age group to hang out with, I also could not call home more than once a week because it cost a fortune. In fact, I think I used to call home collect because we weren't allowed to spend the company's money for this purpose. That would change in a few years, of course. I gave my parents my itinerary. They knew where I would be, when I would be there, and what hotels I was staying in. We were traveling through Argentina, Chile, and Brazil, then on to Panama, Mexico. It was exciting, but lonely at the same time. Oh boy, did I miss New Jersey. But I did eat fine meals in every country and made friends for life some with whom I am still in contact with today. We arrived in Mar del Plata, Argentina on a Saturday. It was a beach town, a one-hour flight south of Buenos Aires. I remember my colleague wanted to go his own way for the day. It was not an issue for me. Luckily, while in the capital, I had bought Ray Bradbury's The Martian Chronicles in Spanish, Crónicas Marcianas. I went to the beach and I spent the day reading. I later went to a restaurant next to the hotel and ate dinner. I returned to my room and read some more. The following day was Sunday, and I did pretty much the same thing. Monday, of course, was different. We went to visit our customer, who was a very important person in town, and a partner in the local casino. He sent us to eat at the best steak restaurant in town, the Palacio del Bife, which means Beef Palace. He made the reservation for us, but would not be able to join us. We had no idea until we got there that he owned the restaurant. We were given the royal treatment and we were not even allowed to spend the peso, not even to tip. The menu was already set for us. Our host had planned the meal from start to finish, including the wine and dessert. Beef, of course, was the main meal and came on a sizzling hot plate. There it was, the perfect piece of meat, a filet mignon. It cut like butter and the flavor was unlike any beef I ever had. Of course, my point of reference wasn't really that good since I was only 23 years old. When I think about that meal, though, my mouth still waters. Maybe someday, God willing, I can return. I can share a couple of other stories so you can understand how travel was in those days. The first was at the end of the second week, when we arrived in Santiago on a Saturday. My colleague and I went to dinner that evening, and we went our separate ways the next day. I had a taxi drive me around and give me a small personal tour. 
He took me to a small restaurant where I invited him to join me for lunch. There I was, having lunch with a stranger and missing home tremendously. I decided when I got back to the hotel to call home. It was fortunate I did, because there was a bombing while I was out having lunch. My parents had seen it on television and were worried to death. My mom was crying with joy when she heard my voice. She told me about the bombing, and I told her I didn't see or hear anything, and she was relieved. After I got off the telephone, I asked the concierge about it, and it was literally only two blocks away from the hotel. Of course, this made me more homesick. A few days later, we arrived in Sao Paulo, Brazil, driving down Avenida Paulista to our hotel, which, I re if I remember correctly, was called Maxud Plaza. I couldn't believe my eyes. Only a few blocks from our hotel was the first McDonald's I had seen since I left the USA. I never jumped out of a cab so fast. I ran in ahead of my colleague, checked in first. I went straight to my room and dropped my bags. I was up on the 16th floor, and going back down seemed to take an eternity, even though the view from the elevator was of a beautiful jungle-like interior with hanging vines. Finally, I got to the lobby and ran out the front door. I walked at a quick pace and was at McDonald's in minutes. I opened the door and the sound of rock and roll music hit my ears. I still even remember it was Van Halen's newest hit, Jump. I ordered a quarter pounder with cheese and french fries with a papaya shake. Okay, so I didn't go full gringo. But I was still in heaven. It was like I was followed thousands of miles away from home by angels. Oddly enough, when I arrived back from this trip, I hadn't gained as much weight as I would have expected, probably because I didn't have access to food 24 hours a day since I was living in hotels. That meant I had to go out and buy anything I wanted to eat. This kind of instant gratification I can easily get from fast food restaurants that did not exist in many parts of Latin America. The easy access to food from our pantry at home was not there for me either. However, the global environment was changing, and it would not be such an obstacle to feed a craving on future trips. When I first started working in Manhattan, there were specialty breakfast food carts that sold fresh croissants. This sounded healthy to me when I was working midtown, and I usually had a croissant and a cup of coffee for breakfast. Later, those carts disappeared, and I used to get Hershey's chocolate milk and Hostess apple pies from a little convenience store tucked in an outdoor atrium of a building between 52nd and 53rd Streets. Milk and apples, how much healthier can you get, right? Little did I know I was packing away for breakfast almost all the calories I should have for one day. I was still living with my parents and siblings, and I have to say, I had it easy. If I wanted to eat at home, I let my mom know in advance. Most of the time, though, I ate junk on the run since I was busy working or socializing. Still, I was active enough and didn't gain any significant weight. My well-established poor eating habits, along with the increased amounts of processed foods, would not make themselves apparent to me for some time. Well, that concludes Chapter 5. A seat at the trading desk. I hope you enjoyed it. Um, those were interesting times, and obviously I changed my whole lifestyle. And you'll see in the coming chapters how it affects me. By the way, interestingly enough, I'm at this current time getting pretty close to my heaviest I've ever been. I'm wearing a shirt that just a couple of months ago wasn't tight at all. 
the older I get, the harder it seems for me to lose the weight when I need to. And right now I need to lose a lot of weight. Last night, unfortunately, or fortunately, but unfortunately for me, I, I can't afford to gain weight. I went to a Seder, which was a beautiful event. A dear friend and colleague of mine invited me. The people were wonderful. It was beautiful. And uh, I wouldn't miss that for the world. If you ever get the opportunity to go and haven't before, you should do so. Um, but unfortunately, if you're on a diet, it's a tough road to hope. Anyway, God bless you on this happy Easter, and you'll hear from me soon. Take care.